Good morning. This is Jeff Stevens. I'm coming to you this morning on Palm Sunday. I'm standing here out on my porch and the sun is shining and bees are buzzing and birds are singing and insects whizzing by and I can hear geese and it's just a it's a gorgeous morning. And um, I have my reading this morning is of course out of John 12. Uh, because it's Palm Sunday, and you know it's an important day for the history of the Christian Church. It's an important day for the fulfillment of prophecy, and it's of course a day that's being celebrated across uh, the world, um, and, and known as Palm Sunday. And uh, so, you know, my morning starts this morning with a short reading that I've seen so many times before, and then a little bit of news and coffee. And as I read the news, I see. Um, kind of your typical who's who of the um, in-your-face prosperity preacher movement showing up on the news trying to tell us about, uh, you know, how the coronavirus will pass if we just have faith. And I just get to thinking to myself, like, man, we're really missing the whole nature of this day. And I just thought, I need to go back in and read some more. And... uh you know, I pull out a commentary and I dig in, and this is what I'm really seeing from today is, are we, are we missing this? Are we missing what Palm Sunday really is? You know, it's a day where we like to uh, think if we're holding the palm in our hand, we would have been somebody who welcomed Jesus, the Savior of the world, the King uh, of all the universe into our city, into our hearts, and we lay ourselves down for him. And if you start looking into the book of John, you start realizing that's not really what was going on. So just a little context here. You know, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And, uh, you know, Lazarus, a bunch of the apostles, the women, Jesus, they're all reclining together, they're eating. It's before, before the Passover, and uh, so they're all chilling out together, and people know they're there. Rumors of Jesus raising Lazarus are going around everywhere. Now, if you look at twelve, uh, John 12, and you start in verse 9, it says, The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he, he is Jesus, was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Lazarus being alive is a real threat to, to the religious Jews, which means Jesus is a threat to the religious Jews. If Jesus is the fulfillment, then he comes in to take over, and these men of power in the city are really in trouble because they're no longer going to hold the positions that they hold. Jesus will take over. This is a very fleshly, very um, um, selfish attitude that the religious Jews of the city had. And then as we read on, it goes into uh, verse 12. It says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees, and they went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
even the king of Israel. Of course, this shout Hosanna comes right out of Psalm uh, 118, verse 26, 25 and 26. Uh, interesting read, so go back and read it. We won't go over it this morning. But uh, the people that were there welcoming him were missing the point as well. You see, these people didn't see a Jesus that had come to save their soul. These people had come to see a Jesus who was going to fulfill what they thought was the part of Scripture that they had read out of Zechariah 9, 9 through 11. And this new king was going to come sit in Jerusalem and essentially save them from Rome. He was going to be the new government. He was going to be the new leader. He would take away from them the suffering that they've had underneath Rome. He was going to be the king of the world. And that's what they saw. They were missing the whole point of this. And I can't help but wonder if we put it in today's context. Like I said, I was watching the news this morning. And of course, the talk is still this virus that has become a pandemic. And these preachers are saying, you know, it's Palm Sunday. It's a day for hope. Hope that he'll take away this virus. It's hope for healing. It's hope for prosperity. Well, you know, that's, it's not really what it's about at all, is it? Jesus came to save us from our sin. He came to give us hope in eternity. He did not come to save us from our current situation. I'll caveat that by saying that he does have the power to heal people. There's many people who have seen healings, and if you're like me, without Jesus in your marriage, it wouldn't be what it is today. I thoroughly believe that Christ can do an amazing work in your physical body, psychologically. He can take away addiction. Uh, He can take away sorrow and pain. The however part is, Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to save your soul. He came to give you um, peace and hope in eternity. Because if we read on in 12, we're going to go down here where Jesus starts teaching believers, which they call Greeks in this. And Jesus says, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So this should be our focus. So my encouragement to you today is uh, just reread Palm Sunday, get into John 12 and take a look at it. And you might see another uh, angle to this that you haven't seen before. For those of you who are uh, believers and regular churchgoers, you go sit on church into church in the pew on Palm Sunday, and you hear essentially the same message every year. It's all about welcoming Jesus into the city. Welcome Jesus into your heart. Sing Hosanna because Christ is coming in. Look at the history of this thing and find out that people were missing the point. And the reason I bring this up is I don't think we should miss the point. The point is we need to accept Jesus into our heart for eternity. Don't have the small expectation of the healing here. Don't expect your bank account to get bigger. The virus might get bigger and it might get worse over time. That's not the point. The point here is Jesus came to give us life eternal. So be blessed on this Palm Sunday. Even if you're stuck at home, it is a beautiful day outside. Get outside and clean the pollen off your home. Uh, Love and blessings to all of you in this holy week.
Good morning, this is Jeff Stevens coming to you this Thursday morning. Coming up on the end of Holy Week and Good Friday and then, of course, Easter this weekend. And, uh, you know, I'm coming to you this morning uh, wanting to talk to you a little bit about Easter as a Christian Holy Day. Um, If you're like me, there will be people in your circle who will challenge Easter as a legitimate Christian holy day or holiday, uh, mostly out of their own ignorance. But it's worthwhile for us as believers to be able to pose a defense for why we believe what we believe. And I would say, especially for a holy day that we celebrate like Easter, which really is the most important day that we celebrate within our entire Christian calendar. Because without the resurrection of Christ, our entire faith is in vain. So, you know, Paul is clear about this in 1 Corinthians 15, this gospel that we preach. Without it, you know, what we preach is in vain. And so it hinges all on the resurrection. So what is Easter and where do we get the word? Uh, Where is the history of that? This is important because you will get drive-by non-believers or even believers who just don't understand their history will say things like, well, this... You know, Oester is this god of um, fertility or whatever, and this is where they get the Christian holiday from, and it's stolen from some Germanic uh, uh, deity. And really, it's just not true. So how do we as Christians know that we're believing the right thing? Well, let's start with the book of John. Um, You know, John... Chapter 20 in the Gospel of John, we have this account of the empty tomb. So, you know, we've been reading through the Gospels uh, all this time, and we get all the way close to the end of the Synoptic Gospels. Well, this is the Joannic Gospel. We get through the first three, we're in John, and we read this in chapter 20 about the empty tomb, right? And if you're a believer and you've sat in church on a Sunday, this is read regularly. You know, Mary Magdalene goes up to the tomb, and what has happened? Well, Jesus isn't there, so she runs back, and you know she's going to go get Simon Peter, and uh, they're going to get all excited. They feel like somebody's taken Jesus away, and they're all going to run back there and find out that uh, Jesus, in fact, is no longer in the tomb in accordance with prophecy and scripture. And then, of course, Jesus has an encounter with Mary, uh, where he speaks to her first, right? Woman, why are you weeping? Um, They've taken away my Lord, she says. And Jesus says to her, Mary, you know, it's me. And of course, she calls him rabbi. And we see Christ show up uh, as resurrected. He has conquered death, burial, and the grave. And he is before us. Well, why is it important just to look at the gospel and say, well, this is good evidence. Well, this is good evidence for a couple reasons. I believe the Bible to be reliable. I believe the Bible is what it says it is, does what it says it does, and I rely on it as a source for my faith. But you know, if you just want to look at that text specifically and say, is it historically reliable? When we compare it to something like Oestra, So how old is the book of John? Well, 
Some people would say, well, we don't have original manuscripts. Well, my goodness, we've got some manuscripts that are pretty old. You know, there's an alphanumeric um, system that's set up in order of when fragments of the um, papyri were found. And they're P, papyri, and then they go one, and they go through a series of numbers into the hundreds. And we have three, 5290 and 66 are the three, 5290 and 66, that are literally second century papyri. So these are, you know, John lives all the way into the 90s of the first century. And then well within the next century, we have copies of his book being, um, you know, spread throughout the Near East. You know, and then 12 more within the next century. These are being copied regularly. And this is all just about Jesus. And the cool thing is, you know, these are all fragments and they piece them together, especially these first three. But even within the first three, they've got the whole book of John together. And then the P66, they've got um, the chapter here, chapter 20. Of course, it wasn't in chapters back then. But, um, you know, scholars have put them into chapters for us to be able to navigate. But that chapter 20 was found uh, and we it is dated to around 200 CE. So this is... This is good for us because this is good evidence that we know that the book of John is, is right. It is original. It is good science. It has been copied well. What we have now coincides with the original words from the original papyri. It has not been changed. Scholars are able to take original language and transliterate or translate or both so that we know that we are reading something that is reliable. So why do we start with John being reliable? Well, because within the first century, you know, we had Christ crucified. By the second century, Christians are already spreading the word of the gospel around the world and celebrating Easter. They are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. So where does this Oestra come from? Well, this is years and years later. You know, this guy who's a saint, his venerable bead, a saint bead, you know, he's um, this English Benedictine monk who who's writes. And through a bunch of his writings, what he ends up doing is he ends up writing in an 8th century work um, about this Oestra. And it's in passing, by the way. And it isn't necessarily about a goddess. This is something that's truly been made up. Um, and what it really could relate to is the East, not to some sort of goddess. And it isn't something, this whole thing about Easter bunnies and it being some sort of um, um, sexual thing where it, it turns into, you know, being able to have kids and it's just not true and it just doesn't hold any water at all and this um, idea that there was some sort of Germanic goddess that was worshipped before Christians come up with the word for Easter it just it just is not the truth so one of the things that we get out of this is this Oestra is you know, this European concept of this goddess, but it Easter is called Easter 
all over the world and has been for many, many centuries and referred to as Austern. So we know all over the world we've been calling it Easter before this writing of Oester has ever emerged. So what do we know is that it is most likely where we get the English word Easter is some sort of variation out of Latin where it came from Hebrew or Pesach, which would be the Hebrew word for the Passover. So as it's been kind of passed over the years, we know language changes that we get from Pesach or the Passover, we get Easter somehow. So the reason I bring this up is you should be able to pose a good defense for your faith. People are going to bring this up. And when they say, hey, do you know that Easter is actually a pagan holiday? You can say, really? Prove it to me. What is the first manuscript that shows where Easter is celebrated as a pagan holiday, where, why, and how? And is there something older than the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John? And then you'll probably have them on their heels. And then you know what you do? You just share Jesus with them. Say, this is timeless. Jesus was here from the beginning. He came to save your soul. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross to save us from our sin. He was put in the grave, and on the third day he rose again. And fulfillment of the scriptures, but in victory over death, so that we might have everlasting life with him. So go forth, have a good defense for your faith today, and God bless you.